0: It's time to kickstart your confidence. In this podcast, you will hear open and honest interviews with business owners and like-minded people who have struggled and then how they've overcome their own issues. Listen to their real-life struggles and personal accounts of how they've changed their lives and continue to do so on a daily basis. Get rid of stress, own your own space and thoughts. It's time to take control, feel your personal health and well-being improve as you travel with us on this journey. And now your host, former British champion, owner and chief instructor of Hastings Kickboxing Academy and third Dan Blackbelt, Carl Denny.
1: Hi, it's Carl Denny here and I am with Nikki Weatherell. Thank you for being here today, Nikki.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you for your time. And just before you listen to this, I just want to warn you um, or make you aware this is going to be quite a sensitive subject and I'm kind of out my own comfort depth here a little bit. Um, Nikki is a teenage rape survivor and she has gone through a lot of pain and now she's come out the other side and thrived and today she's going to be talking about her life as a teenager growing as a young adult, uh, mum, children, life, her sex life, dealing with the situation she's had to deal with um how her sex life has been quite challenging and now it's like it's out of this world am i yeah. right yeah <laughs> um that i've been told there is nothing that i can't say or ask uh, the more i ask the better apparently because she's particularly open about talking about her life which is great so i just want to say thank you and welcome to the kickstart your confidence podcast
0: thanks
1: so Normally, I'd write a load of notes, and normally I would have a kind of guide of what I can and can't say, and questions I want to ask. But I was trying to write questions of what I wanted to ask you, and I I just come up a blank every time. So, can you just maybe explain to the listeners who you are and what we're going to cover in today's podcast?
2: Okay, so um, I'm Nikki. I am hopefully uh, a fun. Um, I love making the most of life. I'm a mother of two, currently 14 and 11 year olds and a wife of one husband. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mother of two, wife of one. Um, Yeah, that's enough, isn't it? Um, And I run a coaching business. I was a personal trainer for 12 years before moving into coaching and mindset and um, now specifically sex coaching I decided to make that transition after needing a big change but also realizing that actually although I was had a fully booked studio and I was really busy with clients that for me working on the inside out is the most powerful transformation and that's what lights me up really. Wow
1: cool and that's Get, I'm going to ask the question, being a sex coach from what you went through as a teenager for many people must be like, wow, that's that's incredible. So today we're probably going to do in two parts, I think. I want to talk about your, your teenage years and what you went through in the younger days and the transition you've made from where you were to where you are now. But I don't want people to get confused and get lost into, oh, everything's wonderful now because when we spoke a few weeks ago there was quite a dark rabbit hole so if if you're prepared to and if if the listeners want to um go down this rabbit hole with us would you like to take us back to maybe where it all started
0: sure
2: um so i was a really quiet teenager my mom said i was painfully shy and i would go scarlet if anyone even spoke to me um i was a real like people pleaser i wanted to do really well at school although I wasn't particularly academic so I studied really hard um and I was desperate to please my parents and um I found school quite challenging um I got massive boobs I had train tracks and a head brace um and pretty bad acne so um there was like there was a lot of bullying and um Difficulty and actually having spoken to other people in my year at school, I think we all found it very difficult. It wasn't like I was one person, yeah. even the people you presume to be like the confident ones in the cool gang actually yeah. have the same issues. Um, and yeah, I, I, um, I had like my first boyfriend when I was about 14, we were together for quite a long time. We'd spoken about not wanting to sleep together. He was a couple of years older than me. Neither of us were ready. So that was... quite sensible. Yeah, Yeah. that was really off the cards. Um, And I say these things not because... um, I think any... Even if I'd been really promiscuous and uh, not sensible... um, Obviously, I wouldn't have deserved what happened to happen to me like nobody does. There is no excuse for that. But uh, having been in that position, it was quite a shock I felt to my body. And I obviously don't have um, anything to compare it to in a a personal view like that. This was my experience. So, um, yeah, I was basically I was... um, in this relationship that was pretty sensible and caring and just wasn't ready yet at all yeah. and i was uh, raped at a party um i can't give too much information because of legal ramifications so yeah. i I'm just sure. um leave it <laughs> leave it there really yeah. um the next day um i tried to tell somebody uh, they, so, how,
1: can, I, can I ask yeah, how you absolutely. felt when it, when it happened? I was going to say without being too inclusive, but I guess that's yeah, why we're course. here. So.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was the first time I'd ever had a drink. Yeah. I don't think I drank very much. Um, I... Remembered being uh, in a room full of people and then the next minute I wasn't I was in with one person okay. and and then I kind of blanked out it was someone I knew I was comfortable with I didn't yeah. feel threatened um I think when a lot of people think about rape they think about you know being violently attacked in an alleyway and actually for a lot of people that isn't the case it's people you know if you are comfortable with um in some cases obviously family members and things so I didn't feel threatened at all I wasn't in feeling I was in any danger um and yeah then I remembered being dragged down a hallway my head hit a radiator and the next thing I knew I woke up on a bed and he was on top of me Um, and I remember feeling, um, quite claustrophobic, like, Mm -hmm. um, my body had definitely gone into like a freeze mode. I didn't feel like I could do anything. And I've obviously had a lot of, So I'm, I've just turned 40 and this happened when I was 15. So it's a lot of years where one, I didn't speak about it for, well, from 95 until 2010, um, really at all. but in the years following that um, I've had a lot of therapy so there was things that I've been able to remember and have come back to me through that Um, but at the time I remember being in and out of consciousness Um, That wasn't because of the drink
1: just if people exist and be like oh she must have been kind
2: what well, i I arrived at this party late because I'd been waitressing um before so yeah. it's not like I'd been there all evening by my recollection i I got there probably about half ten eleven o'clock
0: yeah.
2: um and I don't remember it being particularly late um i I think I probably had a couple of glasses of wine but at fifteen when you've never had a drink um
1: yeah.
2: and at forty when I hardly ever drink if I have one <laughs> glass of wine I'm absolutely wasted like i just can't drink it so i think at at 15 that probably would have been a lot for my system um and i think that the unconsciousness was probably a mixture of things from one having had a drink for the first time two i'd hit my head um and three when these things happen our body has its own responses where it it shuts down either flight and fight or freeze um and i'm sure that i dropped into freeze which is when if you're an animal in the wild um they would pretend to be dead basically so that yeah. it's a, that apparently the least pain painless death
1: and they say a bit like so. when the sharks around you you should lay still as opposed to swim and panic because then, yeah. then they won't attack
2: and so it's literally that i i remember just him being on top of me and his face really close to mine like as a result of that anything over my face is a problem like i've Longed to snorkel and scuba dive, and no matter how many times I try, like, yeah, I just can't. And we're right now in coronavirus issue, <laughs> having like masks, even seeing people with masks, triggers a nervous system response. Wow. Um, so regardless of everything, there's such deep programming within your body when you've experienced trauma,
0: yeah.
2: So at the time, um, I didn't feel frightened, but I, I felt out of control, and um yeah uh, just just not in control and not really with it
1: so it must have been quite hard afterwards to make a decision to try and tell someone do you tell someone do you stay quiet yeah like how did you cope with I think, so you tried to reach out to someone
2: yeah so the i remember um staying where i was and he left yeah and um I'm not going to give in any other details because I I can't disclose his um, identity for legal reasons.
0: Yeah, that's
2: fine. um, Which you'll find out why later. Um, But I I knew what had happened and I tried to tell someone the next morning, um, someone whose party it was. And he basically said, don't be silly. You've just made a mistake. You just regret sleeping with him. And at that point, being really shy and um, quiet and also thinking, fuck, I'm going to get in... I hope I can swear. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah you can <laughs> fuck, swear. Fuck, I'm going to get yeah. in trouble. Yeah.
2: I've, one, I've had a drink when I'm 15.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, two, like, um, I was wearing a black dress. Like, I remember thinking my dad's going to kill me yeah. or he's going to kill him and i didn't want that yeah. either either way
1: ends up bad
2: yeah um and now they don't believe me yeah and while it was happening i could hear people chanting dog from the room below so they thought i'd consented so even though i was i was quiet i you know that i'd been in this relationship for a long time I wasn't ready for anything I wasn't actively um, having any uh, sexual experiences they still I could hear them chanting dog the night before when it was happening and no one came to help me yeah so I in my mind I just thought no one believes me no one's going to believe me if they didn't come and help me last night and now he's saying it's something I just regret they don't believe me in Mm -hmm. hindsight maybe they thought they were going to get in trouble Uh, you know it's a possibility Um, and I remember he drove me home and I went in the house as quiet as I could and I just went to my bedroom and from that point I remember really closing down Um, I remember anger surging a lot through my teen years I used to absolutely trash my bedroom Um, I listened to a lot of angsty music (laughs) uh, the Cranberries and... uh, that played a lot and um, I just remember feeling like I couldn't tell anybody and no one understood and as a result of that my behaviour shifted so um, I got quite obsessive with cleaning myself I used to scrub my skin with a nail brush because I never felt clean Um, I did weird things like hoovering in the night so I'd trash my room but then I'd feel like I needed to like clean like clean to me is control and that's what it was it was trying to gain back control and then I still this was at the end of the summer holidays and when I went back into school uh, the following week everyone chanted dog as I walked through the Mm -hmm. school gates again so I knew that there was not a hope that anyone would believe me um I did have one person that I got to take... I didn't drive at the time, got to take me to a family planning clinic. Um, I don't remember the conversation around that or whether I said anything about why, but I went and got tested and made sure I wasn't pregnant because I wasn't on the pill. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, so I don't don't really remember a lot else other than I was desperate for my boyfriend to want to come back with me and yeah. he didn't because he assumed I cheated on him yeah so that was like another layer yeah yeah um we did actually eventually get back together
1: because that must have been really hard for him to take yeah you know from a teenage boy's point of view mm. e- either way if you cheated and cheated on him or been raped like that's there's no easy way to take that
2: no especially when they're there yeah and so he was there yeah. at the party, um, and he knows. So like in my
1: head, I'm thinking, well, if I was at the party and I thought my girlfriend had gone upstairs to sleep, like I would, I wouldn't have been able to stay downstairs.
2: I don't, I, I don't understand. Um, you know, my my mom, who I did eventually tell. Um, in 2010, so, so a really a long. Few years
1: later. Yeah,
2: so what is that? Fifteen years. Uh, fifteen years, yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't tell them till f- fifteen years later when I, I was in a situation where I didn't have a choice.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and she said, you know, maybe they they maybe they been taking drugs or something. Um, I don't know.
1: How did your parents take it?
2: Um, well, when I did eventually tell them, I had already been. So in 2010, um I was admitted into a mental institution. I had a total breakdown and I knew I had to tell them as part of that. In
1: 2010. Yeah, so yeah.
2: um in obviously from 95 till 2010 was quite a big gap and it, I think my if I just rewind it
0: yeah. back a yeah, little.
1: Yeah, sorry, bit. I know we might jump about a little
2: bit. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> um I then became, like, this bad teenager at home.
1: So you completely started to rebel?
2: Well, in their eyes.
1: <laughs> in your eyes, you're like, oh, I'm
2: fine. Yeah, I was. Been and actually, in hindsight, I was the good one out of the three of us. <laughs> um, you know, other than smoking the odd joint, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I still carried on going to college. I worked several jobs. I got... Um, Really good marks, apart from in maths, because I'm shit at maths, um, in my GCSEs. Um, I went on to study at college and got uh, distinction. Wow, so
1: you're doing better than most teenagers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was just, I was so keen to, like, I just wanted to prove that I was, I suppose, worthy of being loved and of having friends. And and I, I felt really worthless i think really deep down i i thought i was a bad person um uh you know growing up like i had a great family life um my mom and dad worked incredibly hard they were self-employed my we moved down from london when i was um about 12 Um, when I was 13 my mum fell pregnant with my little brother so there was a big age gap there Mm. so she was really busy a recession had hit they um, had two properties with 15% interest and it was at the time when you could say you wanted a mortgage without actually being able to afford one
0: yeah
2: Um, so they were having to work really hard and then suddenly my mum's pregnant when she's got two teenagers effectively yeah Um, and I felt like I was putting a lot of pressure on but yeah, I just, I I think after I worked really hard at school and then when I got to about 16, 17, I decided I wasn't prepared to put up with people shit at school anymore, basically. Yeah. And I ended up leaving um, my A-levels after like halfway through the first term and going on to college to do a diploma instead so it was a total like I took myself out of that situation. Yeah. couldn't be around those people I couldn't be in that school environment that I felt didn't protect protect me in hindsight. Um and just it was like a clean slate which felt really fra- refreshing like I was able to be myself. Mm. Naturally I'm um, quite um I don't, I don't like the the norm, you know, yeah. I've got my own way I like to dress at the time. It was purple bell bottoms, <laughs> buffalo trainers, bindies,
0: yeah.
2: um, anything from a second hand shop that was quite retro and yeah. pillar box red hair. So Which I is literally... really
1: in at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were just setting the trend 20 yeah. years
2: ago. I'm kind of going back there now. I'm just not prepared to dye my hair. Um, but yeah, it was like a real clean slate. Yeah. And I made new friends, and I came. I was studying down at Hastings, so um, I loved being in with that kind of bohemian vibe um, and yeah. just reinventing. Which Hastings got really, a massive, yeah, a massive. Uh, Especially when you're an art brilliant. student, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. It was brilliant, yeah. and just felt like I was able to try and find myself really outside of what I was pigeonholed in.
1: Into yeah,
2: in that place, but to my parents. They, they saw me going out. It's huge and rebellious... Yeah. Yeah. And I still, the, the jokes about when I was a bad teenager come up. Yeah. But actually, I really wasn't. You know, like I said, I smoked the odd joint. I enjoyed going out with my friends. I was usually the designated driver because I didn't like drinking. Yeah. Um, if I did have a drink, I would try and make sure that I was with my friends. And yeah. um, and there did become a time where I did... I did like start to so I've moved on from the skin scrubbing, although that lasted for quite a while, to smoking and drinking. Yeah. Um, but never when I would put anyone else in danger or, you know, yeah. I just I drank a so lot. Then
1: it's more just normal Just normal teenager. teenage stuff, yeah. yeah college.
2: Um so yeah, that that was that was then really. I um I ended up um leaving that boyfriend who I was with when the rape happened yeah. um, and I met someone else fell completely head over heels for him thought he was the one and yeah. um, and then I ended up falling pregnant um, when I was 19 which wasn't expected I was on the pill um, I think because I was at a point where I was drinking a lot potentially you know that affected things but I ended up having miscarriage when I was 12 weeks pregnant and um, he left me for somebody else who he's married to, I do have permission from him to talk about this (laughs) Um, and so at 15 obviously the rape happened, then I had these years of like trying to, whether it was cleaning, scrubbing being a really good girl and then going on to like drinking and having a good time but just normal kid behaviour, not yeah. not anything more than that. Um, to then having this miscarriage and being mm. devastated that he left me at a time where I felt really vulnerable. Yeah. I was really vulnerable. And you were still young? I was still really young.
1: Yeah.
2: Um and yeah, that crushed me again.
1: How um d- did it has it affected your relationship at that when you was younger? Did it affect how you were, say, towards your boyfriend or the next boyfriend? How did it affect you in that relationship?
2: So when I got back together with the guy who I was seeing when the rape happened, um, I think that our sex life was more extreme than most teenagers' sex life was. Um, I remember having, and this might be difficult to hear, but I remember almost wanting to relive it. I almost like well, um, it was like I was trying to make sense of it. Yeah. So, um
1: if you can relive it, then you might be able to understand why. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, you know, I remember wanting him to be rough with me. Yeah. And and he wouldn't and um, I remember one one time we were um, in his bedroom and we were literally like surrounded by porn mags and he was doing me from behind and his dad walked up the stairs <laughs> and bear in mind we're probably about like 16 17 well, see, I've, i, I have that's a, quite extreme
1: i have a 15 and year old daughter and the thought of that <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: leave your door open
2: yeah exactly yeah. So I think I was just I was trying and I, I'm pretty sure that porn stash was his because we were at his house and I never brought a porn bag before but um, I'm pretty sure that in that relationship it was about when we actually waited quite a long time again before we slept together and yeah. I did class that as my first time um, because I was a virgin when the rape yeah. happened so I felt like do you think that made it harder? Um, I think because he did really care for me, and I really cared for him, yeah. and there was almost like a need where it was. I think I was in a real, I had a real need for him at that point. Okay, We'd yeah. made it as nice as possible, which in some ways is really mature for our age. Yeah,
1: that's um, that's unusual for that age. I would have said. Yeah, or I think so. I'm old now, so I don't know, but
2: and. I didn't. I think it's it's really weird because I feel like what I do now, like, has always been within me because I made I was able to make those decisions yeah. that I wouldn't sleep with him until we were actually ready, and then we kind of remade it like we lost our virginity together. God, and, nice. Um, but once we kind of got going,
0: yeah,
2: it then got quite explorative for yeah. a, a young age, and then when he he went um travelling to australia and when he came back it i'd met the my my ex and yeah. um nothing had happened um but I, I could tell when he came back we were a little bit brother and sister relationship yeah. and there was a real spark with me and this with this other guy and um when we started seeing each other it was really different like um I I, th- I I rushed into sleeping with him probably yeah. um, not. I don't regret it at all um, and we had a really great sex life I think what I know now having one studied sexuality um, and also through my own learning is that we had a great sex life for then I was completely besotted with him um, I really enjoyed having sex with him. My um, core erotic theme—everyone has a core erotic theme—is um, freedom, and I felt very free. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. We danced. We parted together. You know, yeah. we had a lot in common, so I felt free.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but my expanse for pleasure now is greater. Um,
0: yeah.
2: And obviously so we were together quite quite a few years um, uh, what was it we are about three years uh, which is quite a long time when you're that age I think yeah yeah, it's a long time yeah. Um, and yeah he left me when I had the miscarriage when I was 12 weeks pregnant for somebody else um, who he's now married to
1: so um, you can kind of give it to him <laughs> not that that's a difficult difficult <laughs> attack but I, I always, I know that it's difficult, but I always say when that happens, if that person then goes and gets married, you know that it wasn't, they haven't left you for a fling, they haven't left you for a weekend. I know it's not nice to take, but at least they've got married and moved on.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't talk about their relationship.
1: Yeah. Um, Again, if they're happy or not is... is exactly. Is, is my, yeah.
2: Exactly. Um and life is complicated. See, oh god yeah. So <laughs> um yeah, I can't talk about that side of things really, um, in terms of them. Um but I was really crushed and I felt abandoned. So yeah. a lot of the work I've done um through learning about sexuality and the nervous system is that what it triggered in me was a sense of abandonment. Okay. So after the rape I felt abandoned because I tried to tell someone and yeah. I was told I was lying. And then he abandoned me when I was also really vulnerable. And then I spiraled.
0: Yeah.
2: Um then I really started to to drink. Again, I wasn't harming anybody, I never drunk and drive or anything like that, but I was just went into like self-destruct mode.
1: And how old were you?
2: I was nineteen.
1: Nineteen.
2: Um and then six months later I met my husband. Oh, cool. and um yeah i was asleep under the men's urinals in a local pub
1: classy i
2: was really classy i was wearing pink snakeskin boots um, <laughs> fag in hand um i regularly used to get very annoyed waiting for the girls toilets and use the men's instead <laughs> yeah I, uh,
1: again i i went through when i when i slept with my wife and um when i went through my divorce i you know i went through a bit of self-destruct and you know didn't know which way to turn and um i went out quite drinking quite a lot for a little while and um yeah i remember regularly thinking you've not got a willy why are you in <laughs> <laughs> but, it's like, but yeah the, the girl's toilet's queue would be huge yeah would be sitting over your the and guys. then the girl would just walk in you like all right
0: yeah
1: <laughs> stop it's cold in here <laughs>
2: maybe, i don't know maybe it was the time um but yeah Mm-hmm. It was just.
1: just so, what? The, hey, you look—you look a good catch.
2: <laughs> no, he thought I was a total twat. Um, so, so, someone had tried to set us up. Um, I didn't know this at the time. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he—he basically he had an accident where he was crushed thirteen foot underground, wow. and he had a hundred and thirty three fractures in his hip and pelvis, and. It was around the same time that I'd had my miscarriage. So that was in the July and I miscarried in the August. So it yeah. was really weird. It was like our lives completely changed yeah. at this one point.
1: Which are quite big life-changing events.
2: Yeah, exactly. And because he um, he wasn't he wasn't able to work, he'd just come out of hospital and uh, his friends owned the pub that I used to work in and drink in. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> he started to go down there and have a drink. Um <laughs> Or to help them out um, behind the bar sometimes. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, our paths had crossed, but I was too in my
0: yeah self destruct <laughs> Yeah, to
2: notice. Um. So that was the first time he saw me, which was brought up in our wedding speech. Brilliant. Um. And then uh, another time I was very drunk and. Um, my friend had told me that he liked me and I was like oh, he's really old because he's <laughs> 15 years older than me Wow! and I was so not into like I didn't want a relationship
0: Yeah.
2: and uh, he didn't either because he'd just been buried alive like a yeah, few months before that's that insane. and was like having a lot of his own recovery and stuff happening
1: Yeah.
2: and yeah I made it an absolute show of myself yeah. and we started talking <laughs> and we just like we just started talking, you know, when you talk to someone and you just don't stop. Yeah.
1: Um, he was 15 years older than you. Yeah. And again, I kind of, because I, I know I want to go into your business side, but I don't feel like it will be right on this part in, yeah. re, in respect to what we're talking about. So he's 15 years older than you, but you've been together quite a long time, now.
2: Yeah, so we've been together 20 years.
1: Amazing. So um, sometimes when people say about the age difference is obviously this is perfect proof that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, which is great. And can we talk about, did he know about your no, situation? So this didn't. must have been quite a hard <coughs> conversation to have at some point.
2: Yeah. Not for really, really long time though. <laughs> so um, like you asked about my parents earlier, you yeah. can obviously imagine their response when, one, mm. um, they've seen me as this unruly teenager. Yeah. They've got a lot of stuff going on in their own life too. Um, at 19 I had a miscarriage and yeah. then my ex left me and then six months later, or maybe it was longer than that, I can't remember when I first told them, Yeah, um, I'm seeing a guy that's 15 years older than me.
0: Yeah,
2: um, They were probably quite freaked out. Um, mm. As, as I would be. <laughs> yeah, it was just really, really slow. Um, so that was like, we first um, got talking about the October-November and it wasn't until the February that um, I think I, I he invited me back to his place for yeah. um, a, a, a Chinese takeaway or something <laughs> really romantic. Yeah, um, We just kind of had a bit of a passion in the pub yeah. at some point and um, we were seeing each other, but it was just so slow. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a great big you know like yeah. with some people you meet you have this great big kind of passionate yeah, like the explosion period. and whereas with us it was just really steady and yeah. just talking getting to know each other his accident had left a lot for him to deal with yeah. um he was really badly injured um he's classified as disabled and yeah. he was having a lot of pain and court cases mm. and well stuff. there's a
1: lot of. Um to go through that Christ yeah
2: and I was a mess quite frankly yeah Um, you know I was not a catch
1: at all so you supported each other
2: yeah so I think we kind of that was what it was there was a lot of like moving through whatever this new phase of our life was together both of us had said we don't want a long term relationship he didn't want to get married he didn't want children I knew that I really did want children I was quite broody yeah Um, I must have still had like pregnancy hormones rushing around um, and yeah, it was just very very slow. We didn't move in together for about three or four years. Okay,
1: so quite again, quite a long time. Quite yeah. sensible as opposed to
2: yeah, let's, let's yeah, buy a house and it just it was very organic. Yeah. Um, he already owned a house, um, so I think uh, eventually I moved in there. Yeah. Um He he gave me a key one morning and um I was like oh cool and I was living like a a a kind of annex next to my parents house and I told my mom and dad who'd asked me to move in and they were really happy um but I was just so slow about it one day I turned up and my dad had one of his work vans and he was loading all of my things into the car (laughs) into it he was like I'm taking you to Darren's house now (laughs) and uh yeah he moved me in um and yeah, that that was that really. So I didn't tell him anything. Yeah. Um, he just knew that I was a mess. Um and we somehow grew yeah. together.
1: Was it hard to tell him? Yeah. And um was it was it one of them I get in my head I kinda of picture back when I was like thirteen, kiss her now. No, wait. Three, two, I'd I'll, <laughs> I'll do it, I'll do it at the break. Like was it something that really built up or yeah, did you so manage just to say it?
2: Basically, I would started to feel like my whole life I was living was a lie, which was causing a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Um. I. When was that? So when we'd been together about six years, um, we we decided we had Toby when we'd been together about six years, yeah. and it was about four four three or four years in, we moved in together, and um, we decided that we would have a baby. Darren's dad had died. Um, he had asked me to marry me when we were on holiday, and I said no because it was not long after his dad died, and I didn't want to take advantage <laughs> of his emotional state. Yeah. So I said no, and um, we decided to try for a baby. And they said that we'd have to have IVF because um, we mm. couldn't conceive naturally.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, partly due to his accident, and partly partly due to stuff that was happening with me.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. <clears throat> And so we had this baby and after we had him, I ended up with really bad postnatal de- depression. I had a really traumatic birth experience um, and it, it lasted for about a year.
1: Yeah.
2: And it was when Toby was one, I trained as a birth doula. And one of the training days in that we had to do a unit on um, uh, sexual assault and how it impacts birth. So people that suffer with um, any kind of sexual assault or traumas, it can be re-traumatised during giving birth. Okay. And it literally was like this light bulb. So I'd started to feel like I was living this massive lie and I'd spent like a year with postnatal depression. Yeah. And then during that course, the light bulb went off and I realised what was going on.
0: Yeah.
2: I still couldn't bring myself to tell him. Really? And then we ended up getting married um when Toby was 18 months old and then I fell pregnant with Naya, thankfully, really easily. Yeah. Um they're both like total miracle kids, they shouldn't have actually happened yeah, at all. Yeah. And um I ended up having this really cathartic um birth with her, but I had a private midwife, but we had her at home. Yeah. Um I did a lot of like self protection. And I told my midwife at that point, I told her what had happened to me in a small part of it. I just said that I was raped. It felt like an important thing for her to have on my notes. But um, when I was pregnant with Tobin, again, it it was pushed down. So during my birth, I was left on my own for ages. I was put in a lift with a male porter with nothing but a T-shirt on. I was given pethidine without my permission, which makes you go in and out of consciousness which made yeah. it feel exactly like the rape so having Toby re traumatized that. Yeah. So when I had Nia then I had to do everything I could to try and bring back that healing yeah. and make it cathartic. And again, it just felt like another layer of lies that I was built up. Yeah. When we got married, I felt I remember coming back from my hun- um, my hen weekend and crying all the way home because I felt like I was, I was about to get married and I was lying and I just couldn't do it. And I thought every time I saw my parents, it was starting to like build up. So what I'd managed to push down for a good few years at that point, then it started to really build. And in my mind, I thought if I tell my parents, my dad's going to have a heart attack or they're going to fall out and get divorced or my dad's going to kill him or (laughs) I'd built up all of these stories. And I, I, I don't remember really thinking about what Darren was going to think other than if he'd had something this big a secret that basically interrupted sex, relationship everything, yeah. every ounce of my being yeah. is is a certain way because of this that I've hidden it for all of this time, I'd be devastated
0: Yeah.
2: and then when um, it, it got to then 2010 and again for legal reasons I can't say what happened but something happened which was catastrophic for for me yeah. and I was in then a position which was um like reliving things all over again. Yeah. Um and I wish I wish I could say what it was but I yeah. just can't oh, um funny. but at that point um, I knew that I had to tell him yeah we were going on holiday to Turkey for two weeks and I I was like trying to like grapple with what I was (laughs) going to do because like this this awful thing had then happened and left me in this really difficult position yeah and I knew I was going to have to say something and it got to the, like two days before the end of our holiday. And I just, I was like, I can't go home. I can't go home. Yeah. And I just had this total breakdown and he was like, what is going on? He, he couldn't get his head around it. He yeah. was like, nothing you can tell me can be that bad. And I was like, it is, it's really bad and I can't go home. I can never go home and um, I'm going to stay here you take the kids home <laughs> and um, and eventually I just had to tell him yeah. and he was flawed mm. because basically everything at that point we'd been together about 10 years yeah. everything we'd built was based on a lie basically yeah. and I felt terrible about it and from that point that was in June and by the September I was suicidal and in uh, the Priory wow yeah um
1: and wow
2: (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) wow um and is when you told him did it was it a relief
0: did it 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 feel like
1: a relief to
2: the pain, or it felt like a relief um i felt bad that i then put something onto him because i'm like I never like to put anything onto anyone. Yeah.
1: Like I, I can do it myself.
2: Yeah. I will hold a lot of my stuff myself. Yeah. I've kind of learned through things that happened that my body response is that I need to be really independent and I need yeah. to hold myself and just deal with stuff. Yeah. Um. So I felt terrible that I'd put it onto him, and that was another reason that I not wanted to tell my parents because then they're going to be really upset. Like yeah. as a parent myself, I know what. What if my yeah, daughter...
1: You'd want to know, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah,
2: I'd want to know immediately, not ten years later. Yeah. Um. So it was kind of pros and cons. It it, it was mm. amazing to have got it off my chest. At the same time, I knew I was going to have to tell my parents, Yeah. which was even scarier. And I knew this was going to be a, a really long, ongoing process that I couldn't escape from. There it must was, have been hard was, for Darren as well. Yeah, it was really hard. So from the june to the september what happened was that my mental health just started spiraling um i started having awful flashbacks 24 hours a day seven days a week it was like you know those old black and white cinemas where the just flashes across and it was like that across my forehead where i could just see him on top of me and it just repeatedly flashing up i could i could feel him i could smell his aftershave even now if I smell that aftershave it it, um that's great it's quite jarring
1: like um, like amazingly crazy because a lot of people you kind of sit in films don't you like when they show a flashback in a film yeah like you know people go I wonder if it would be like that and it obviously is
0: it
2: was
1: triggers that yeah that set it off
2: and it got to the point where if Darren even touched me I would like flinch yeah and we would still be sleeping in the same bed. Um, but if he would roll over to, you know, he'd want to ha- be intimate. Yeah. Then, although I knew it was him, it would feel like...
1: Yeah. ...the other guy. Yeah.
2: Um. So there was so many triggers. If he kissed me too hard, you know, and I eventually... I just was then pushing him away, basically, and he felt massively rejected.
0: Yeah.
2: And one of the things I wanted to touch on... Was um, that actually you can be suffering a lot with mental health issues, and that's awful. But having, I asked him. I I give talks in Ibiza, at a retreat, a couple of times a year on mm-hmm. this. The talk called Hope and Freedom. And I asked him to write down his experience of dealing with me at this point. And he said that his confidence was shattered to so smithereens. Yeah, he didn't know like he was walking on eggshells all the time. He didn't know what to expect. He knew I was at home with the children, looking after them, so he was worried about that because they were three and one.
0: Yeah,
2: um, and I cried all the time. I was explosive. I couldn't control my emotions. I could. I literally couldn't control anything. And then I'd suddenly be, like, frantically cleaning. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, back to and that.
2: Like, yeah, doing Control. all of those things. So I didn't drink, but um, I also exercised a lot. Yeah. So... Um,
1: Which is escapism for a lot of people. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. After I had Toby, I'd put on a lot of weight. I went from being, like, a size 10 to 12 to an 18. Um wow. And I, I got into fitness to lose yeah. the weight and realised that it really helped with my postnatal depression so yeah. I got into PT for mental health benefits
0: yeah
2: um so I just started training a lot and I would do I did all kinds all kinds of things yeah. but yeah he didn't know what to expect when he came home and he was yeah, like right. he just what wanted am I walking to run into away. today yeah
1: which I get that there's another whole podcast on the side of what us men
0: yeah have to put up with as well yeah
1: because it is like you go to work and you think what am I going to come home to is it going to be
2: yeah absolutely Normal?
1: is it gonna be mental is it screamy is it gonna be tears yeah affectionate yeah. Uh, aggressive
2: yeah and he really didn't know mm. um and I, I think you know I have a lot of respect for him for staying because I think a lot of people would have walked yeah because that was just the first three months of what was actually a really long four-year kind of
0: yeah. battle really
2: yeah um and then by the so that was at the June and it slowly spiraled and I would not sleep I remember sitting up at night like I'd rock well, um I and I'd put stupid stuff on social media just praying that someone would notice something was wrong because yeah. I couldn't physically speak yeah um I was in that kind of freeze mode of not being able to speak and say yeah and I, I felt like no one noticed um but I just couldn't say it yeah um, I couldn't even say the word rape at the time. So when I told him, I couldn't actually say I was raped. I had to like do this whole roundabout way of, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you do this, when this happens, and you don't want it to happen, but someone puts their dick in you. When you, <laughs> you know, it was really like. Yeah. Um, I just it took a really long time to say the word rape. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so then I, one day I just I remember losing my shit. And I remember the kids were playing in the playroom and there was a baby gate and like I was in the room across the hallway from them. And I don't know what happened, but when I was back in the room, I'd broken a metal baby gate.
1: Yeah.
2: And I I remember thinking, if I don't ring the doctor tonight, I'm going to be dead. Wow. And I literally picked up the phone. I knew if I didn't ring them then, I wouldn't be alive that night. Like I fantasised about how I was going to kill myself, like what would happen um, and I'd made a couple of very poor attempts as a teenager yeah. um it, it felt like I mean it, they, I did stupid stuff um like drowning yourself in the bath isn't a thing <laughs> it doesn't work You're... it's impossible <laughs> I mean I'm sure it is and I'm not uh, glamorizing that at all but yeah it didn't work I couldn't do it my body wouldn't let me yeah um but I just knew that that was where it was it was the the worst place you can be i was there and mm-hmm. i think just having seeing the kids faces the only thing i could think of was to call the doctor and usually takes ages to get a doctor's appointment doesn't mm-hmm. it but i remember be, being in the office pretty quickly um and i remember the receptionist taking the children away and
0: wow, talking to them different. and
2: thankfully we had private health care through darren's work yeah um, otherwise there was a six month wait, but I managed oh to get God. in the Priory the next day. I thought I was going to go for just for one little appointment. Yeah, I'm going for a little me. chat, they'll
1: fix me and I'll come out. Yeah. How long was you in for? Nine months. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, I didn't know I was, that. I know you went in obviously, but I didn't.
2: Yeah, I was in there on nine months. Um, luckily I was on daycare, um, yeah. but he had to make, when I was home, I, he had to supervise me basically.
0: Um, so how
1: how was again from from my own point of view again you, you kind of see it in films and you see celebrities going in and out of care and stuff like how was it what so how do they look after you what is it Medicaid? do you have counseling <clears throat> sessions what do they get you to do I mean nine months in is a long time
2: yeah it is I was really sick it's easy for to, to me to kind of joke about it or make a bit of a laugh, but yes. actually I was really sick.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I just wanted to fucking die. To to me, at that time, I felt like I was just a burden. I could see the strain on him. Yeah. I didn't want my children to be picking up what I was emitting. Yeah. yeah. Energetically. They I knew they could tell Yeah, that something was I mean, something that right.
1: like you're gonna pick up as well. Yeah. So yeah. um
2: And I felt like I was just a massive burden to my family. And at that point, I still hadn't told my parents. So I also had that hanging over my head. Um, And I didn't know how to get through it. I couldn't at that point see the light. Yeah. But they were amazing. Um, Without a doubt, I wouldn't be alive without them. Yeah. Um, I went in and saw um, like a a psychiatric consultant. Yeah. Um, And I was diagnosed with bipolar 2. PTSD, anxiety, and OCD.
1: Just oh, a few letters.
2: Just a, just a few. <laughs> All the three-letter things. Yeah. There was a lot of three-letter things. Um, and um, they said, but "I think my understanding of bipolar is that it can be something that is genetic, but it can take something like a trauma to trigger yeah. that risk, the activation, if you like." Yeah. Um, uh, and that's that's what he said that. You know essentially, um, my my I had two granddads that were had mental illnesses, yeah. um, on different sides of the family, so there was that kind of underlying, but it took this to trigger, trigger that. To... And then the PTSD was obviously just as post traumatic stress disorder, yeah. Um, took I, I'd had it for a long time, obviously, for 15 years, yeah. Um, and it had manifested itself in various ways from the skin scrubbing like switching on and off obsessive cleaning drinking
1: um, I suppose that's my wife apart from the drinking part just the cleaning (laughs)
2: yeah Um, (laughs) exercise yeah um, excuse me and obviously the anxiety yeah was the situation I was in and yeah it felt like a lot yeah um, so I had all kinds of different therapies. Um I saw the, the psychiatric consultant. Yeah. Um I had like another um, like counselling therapist, um I did um CBT workshops. So it was a bit like being at school. Yeah. And um then you would have like breakfast and then you would see your consultant and then you'd go and see somebody else and then there'd be like a break time and you'd go and sit in a room and sometimes they do like these strange exercise classes and obviously because everybody in there is in different states some people are so sick
1: yeah
2: scarily scarily sick and you would hear people screaming and crying but then you would see other people that were really just managing their illnesses it was really inspiring and saddening um I met some Great people. Yeah. Um, and we formed like a some of us are really nice bonds yeah. of other people that had similar stuff.
1: I definitely think <clears> it <throat> helped. It was one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is it because we're in the middle of COVID again. Um, more people are starting to reach out and talk, and I, I really feel that <coughs> when when you know that you're not the only person going through that yeah. pain or that that problem or. Or whatever the issue is knowing that you're not alone is so powerful on a completely different kind of side but if you if you're on a long drive by yourself it's so boring but if you've got someone sitting next to you mm. they don't even need to have to say anything but just having someone <clears throat> next to you makes you feel better because yeah. you've got someone going through the same pain of the long drive yeah. so to be in a place to go to counseling to talk to someone even if it's just reaching out to your friends yeah uh, and saying look this happened, I'm struggling with this, what do you do when that happens? Which I'm sure you have found out massively with your your sex side, which we'll go on to in part two, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is going to be really interesting. But understanding that you're not alone.
2: Yeah. And it was was really lonely uh, for a long time because um, a lot of people just don't understand. Like, they think that they do, but unless you been there I, I don't yeah. really think you do either as someone that's supporting someone with mental health issues or as the person that's been there you know a lot of people would say oh well I have ups and downs too well bipolar isn't just normal it, ups it's and just downs. not an up and
1: it's not a bad <clears throat> it's not just a bad day
2: it's not just a bad day or yeah. a bad week or an emotional day the 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 kind of things that um lead with that and there's a lot that comes with it and that feeling lonely and people not understanding is difficult I think as a society we've got a really long way to go Mm. in being empathetic for people's hidden illnesses I definitely think
1: the British are worse as well I was listening to something the other day and they were saying that the British are so bent up on keeping it inside and mm. not talking and not telling people and you know it's embarrassing to talk about your issues or your feelings or you know Certainly so for men, if they're feeling depressed or crying or think they're rubbish at sex or, or whatever, yeah. it, you know, it's it's taboo for the British to talk yeah, about it.
2: exactly. And so I'm obviously over here with, like, my stuff, and then my husband is, <laughs> like, he's working full-time, he's got two toddlers,
0: yeah.
2: his confidence is crushed because his wife's rejecting him. Yeah. Like, and it was really hard, you know, it was really hard. But... Um, One of the things that I found really most helpful was um, something called EMDR. Okay.
0: Um,
2: and it was brilliant because when you go through a trauma, um, I think when I use the word trauma, I don't just mean sexual trauma. Trauma is relative. Like I often say, your goldfish could have died or your grandmother could have died. What you feel, you feel.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I say that quite a lot, actually.
2: It's, yeah. it's so many pain things. is still pain. Pain is still pain. It doesn't matter if Karen up the road has got it 10 times worse than you. I think people are really good at pushing down what's going on by comparing it to what someone else has. And yes, we can be really grateful in where we are, and that's so important um, for our well-being, but negating what needs addressing because you think someone else is worse off is yeah. only damaging to you if we don't deal with our issues they manifest themselves in physical illnesses um, and all kinds of yeah of ways um so yeah the the Priory was amazing it was a little bit like being at school but with lessons in different therapy techniques and they basically gave me a toolbox yeah and i describe it as learning to drive so it was like going to learn to drive to pass your driving test, but yeah. you learn to drive afterwards yeah. in the real world. So after I left the primary, I then had to learn how to exist without having the crutch of that support constantly. I obviously, I carried on as an outpatient for quite yeah. an... It was about another year, and I still have therapy when I need it. Yeah. Not all the time, but especially with what I do for a job, it's really important that... I make sure that I'm dealing with my stuff so I can hold space
1: for other people
2: neutrally (laughs) for other people yeah Um, because just because you're in an amazing place now doesn't mean that stuff doesn't still rise it's just how we deal with it yeah
1: the sun rises and the sun falls and life continues and you can't a lot of the time you can't choose what's going to happen the next day and life does change
0: yeah look at Covid yeah
1: you know 12 months ago the world wouldn't have gone oh we're going to put you on hold yeah. and shut down businesses and shut down travel and mm. like if you it's again it's the things you'd see in films isn't it exactly so you don't know what's going to come around the corner so. you
2: really don't and th- this got me really thinking a lot about invisible illnesses recently with um, the people being challenged like I cannot wear a face mask yeah it, it it's just too much yeah Um, it makes me hyperventilate it feels really triggering yeah um, and it's obviously a long going thing but wearing a lanyard is also like wearing a flashing sign yeah. saying I've got something wrong and it got me thinking about people that have colitis and stuff like that like with, I do work with pelvic floor health yeah. and some of the people I work with have invisible toilet conditions yeah. uh, bladder bowel conditions
1: and I was literally talking to someone on Tuesday about that about they want to come to the gym but they're scared because of that exact issue
2: yeah so. but if they're out Like, finding anyone that's had a a toddler or, Mm. you know, can probably empathise with this or a bladder infection or something. Yeah. Sometimes you need a toilet and there isn't one around and you have to ask. But to prove that you have something wrong to get understanding and compassion from people. Like, I think we need to be a lot more understanding as a whole of people with invisible illnesses in society. Yeah. Whether it's mental or physical. And not question. Like, why can't we just be kind
0: yeah and if someone
2: asks for gone. your toilet go yeah of course, yeah, of course you can, can. not no allowed problem. to yeah
1: <laughs> have you brought a coffee <laughs> yeah
2: exactly yeah um yeah it made me think about that a lot recently well
1: i think i think we'll go into that in part two if you're still with us and listening uh, we've got a really good part two coming up which is kind of as nikki's matured grown up yeah. dealt with issues come out of the prairie and how she's moved on with her business and her life Uh, that will, again, be quite in-depth and quite involving. I just want to kind of finish up or maybe summarise. If anyone's going through what you've gone through, if anyone's listening and they're thinking, oh, my God, like, I need to speak out, have you got any advice or guidance that you could give them that would maybe help them on their journey?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, firstly anyone that is experiencing any anything like this or, you know, any kind of mental health issues or something where you feel like you really need to speak to someone, but it's just so scary. That feeling of carrying it in is so damaging to us, like holding that in and just find someone. It doesn't matter who it is, like literally jump in my inbox um, that I really don't have a problem with yeah. that. I've ha- How can they
1: get hold of you if they need to get hold of you? If
2: they want to get hold of me, um, I'm at Celestial Soul Coach uh, on Instagram and on Facebook, and my website is celestialsoul.co.uk. Um, jump in my inbox, there's um, a whole list of mental health lines um, which I share regularly. In fact, I will do a, a blog with those on there, so you've got oh, them amazing. as reference Brilliant. for when this goes out.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, speak to a friend a family member your GP anyone like it might feel like there is no hope and there's nothing to live for yeah but if you can work through it and when you get the right help which is difficult sometimes to get but if you can just persevere with that and just reach out to someone it really is worth it because I'm so glad that I went through it and it was a long many years of darkness
0: yeah
1: I think what you've just said is holding it in can be more damaging than letting it out. And that's so powerful because a lot of people are scared of talking out because of possibly the repercussions. But holding it in can be often a lot more damaging than letting people know or talking or telling someone.
2: And it's really fucking scary to (laughs) say that stuff. Like I've honestly never been more scared in my life than when I told my mum and dad what happened and and it was really hard because you don't want to hurt other people that you care about but also in holding it in you're hurting yourself yeah so much and also the people around us anyway because it comes out whether Eventually. we realize it yeah. is or not um yeah. so yeah just reach out to somebody
1: amazing i just want to say thank you so much for your time uh, <laughs> again if you're listening i hope this is maybe empowered you to talk out, if you do need to reach out and talk to someone, uh, the co- the the podcast is about confidence. So this is just hopefully going to give some people some confidence to speak out. We are going to do a part two, which is going to be probably quite graphic and in depth on how you have moved on. And you wouldn't have got to this part of your life without speaking out no. and dealing with what you've had to deal with in the past. So it's so important that I think that we deal with our demons. Um, because it holds us back and if you want to get on in life I think you you need that to be able to push on is there anything else you'd like to add at all? We no I on? don't think so I, I think quite that's
2: a bit. it really just yeah whatever you do reach out and um, yeah thank you for listening oh
1: you're welcome thank you and again once you, if you're listening I really do hope this has helped um, even if it's just a few of you because um, I know a few of my friends have had to go through this so I'm going to share it to them straight away and I really hope they find you know some solitude some confidence some strength within it so thanks for listening as always guys uh, watch out for part two that will be coming in a few weeks time and uh, just remember it's not just a sport it's way our life thank you Nikki.
0: thank you thank you for listening if you enjoyed today's chat have any questions or feedback for us or would like to be on one of our podcasts leave a review and we will happily get back to you If you would like more details on how Hastings Kickboxing Academy can help you or a family member, find all our contact details in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to HKA's Kickstart Your Confidence podcast. And remember, it's not just a sport, it's a way of life.